All right, good morning. Well, we are in the book of Proverbs this morning, the book of Proverbs. Thank you so much, music team, for pointing us to Christ this morning. I always love coming and singing with you that last song, The Love of God. How rich and awesome is that song? How many of y'all grew up singing that one? Yeah, a few. I figured there were some around. Excellent. I, I really do enjoy that one. As you are finding the book of Proverbs, there's no one landing spot this morning. We're pulling some themes through the book of Proverbs. And let me just remind us of what Proverbs, what the genre is and how it functions and operates. I think that's going to be particularly important this morning. I've mentioned this a few times, but I think it's helpful to keep reminding us. The book of Proverbs works a little bit differently than other books of the Bible. Most of the books of the Bible, you can sort of sit down and read it, and there's a story. There's a narrative or maybe a prophecy or a collection or an argument, <clears throat> maybe a prose uh, discourse sort of uh, setup, like a Romans, something like that, that's drawing out an argument from the nature of man and salvation in Christ. And we can sort of trace that and follow that. The book of Proverbs is wisdom literature, and it works a little bit differently even than the other books of wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs is specifically written to younger people. And I want you to get in that in your mind because I think that's important in something we're going to talk about today. And I think it's important paradigm to remember in the past uh, topical looks at with the themes that we've looked at in Proverbs. When you look at something like pride and humility or speech and our words that we talked about or friendship that we talked about or my friend Dave talked about the sluggard and work ethic a couple of weeks ago. And as we look at those things, we need to remember these are written to younger folks, particularly, and they're written before you make a lot of life choices, all right? So imagine yourself, let's say you're older. I won't define what older is, but if you feel that way, and you look around sometimes, and you might see someone younger, I won't define what that exactly means either, but there's a certain burden that you feel those of us who have got a few years behind us at least, there's a certain burden that you feel to share something with the next generation. I'd really like for them not to do the same things I did. Or I've learned a few lessons along the way of things that I did right. And here's, here's just how the world works. And there's a certain burden that you have to want to share and to want to see life go well for the next generation. Well, that's really what Proverbs is doing. It's showing us this, this is how life works. And so a lot of what we see is don't do this. And it can lead to some problems, though, in our thinking, because sometimes we say, well, what if I've already done that? <laughs> what, if, what if I'm already down that road? What happens then? I mentioned, I believe it was our first week in the book of Proverbs, at least in the thematic section of the book of Proverbs. I said this, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. But it might be too late to avoid some negative outcomes. And that's just reality. You can't start saving for retirement when you're 20, when you're 40. All right? Did you follow that little math for you? We're going to talk about money today. You can't start. You can't roll back the clock. You can't undo certain decisions. There are certain things. There are decisions that you've made. And you live with the consequences of those decisions. So, Bear that in mind as we look at Proverbs. The book is written really geared towards younger folks, though we can all learn, and though I, I think especially this morning we'll all learn from this book, that's what it's doing. So today we're talking about 
a much less controversial topic than like friendship or something like that. We're going to talk about money. And I know many of you have immediately, you're starting to check your blood pressure and you might be nervous. If you're visiting here with us this morning, you're like, great, the money talk, or as my my uh, brother-in-law always calls it the dig deep sermon, the dig deep. Uh, I just want to maybe allay some of your fears this morning. We're not starting a capital campaign this morning. Um, in fact, we're not really even talking about giving to the church specifically. We're going to talk about money in a general sense. We're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about that. We're not setting up a thermometer in the back to, you know, kind of track what everybody's doing. We're not checking, you know, W-2s to make sure everybody's on track with their ties. This is, that's not what this is today. So maybe that you feel a little bit better about what we're going to do. In fact, I think part of what I'm going to say from Proverbs this morning, which I believe is accurate to Proverbs, I want you to try to come to God's word with a fresh set of lenses and eyes this morning. I think part of what I'm going to say may actually be a little bit surprising because I'm going to give you some permission this morning to enjoy the gifts that the Lord has given you that maybe some of you don't quite feel. And I hope that God's word is able to help you see that this morning. A couple other notes about what Proverbs is doing. Proverbs is all about what is appropriate for the moment. I've used the word a lot. What is fitting? What's fitting for the moment? If you're an algebra person, you know, in school, you kind of end up being an algebra person or a geometry person. Do you guys notice that? Some people just really groove out on algebra, you know, X equals this. When they started putting numbers and letters together, I'm like, that's those aren't supposed to mix. It's like the mixed fabrics of Leviticus. Like you're just not, what are we doing? I'm solving for X. It's like, I don't know. That's English. Like why are we mixing these things together? Some of you love that kind of thing. You know, X equals this and you can sort of figure it out and make it all balance to zero and, and it all works for you. And your mind is very much that way. Proverbs isn't all right. It's just not. And it frustrates some people because What's the right thing to say in a given situation? And I'll give you the profound answer. It depends. It depends. Depends on what? Depends on a lot of things. Depends on who you are. Depends on the kind of person you are. Depends on your personality. Depends on how much sleep you had last night. Depends on who you're talking to and how much sleep they had last night. It depends on a lot of things. What's the right thing to say? It depends on the situation. And you have to learn how to speak what's fitting. So Proverbs isn't about, I just need to learn some things so that I can be wise. Here's another little paradox for you. Think about this. Proverbs, the Proverbs will make you wise, but you need wisdom to use the Proverbs. All right, you got that? Proverbs will make you wise, but you need wisdom to use the Proverbs. Here's what I mean. I've mentioned this one a few times. Hebrew poetry is so vivid and descriptive. Proverbs 26, 7. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. You see, you can't just learn a bunch of proverbs and say, okay, I'm wise now. That's not how it works. You can't just learn a formula to wisdom. It's not how it goes. I was reminded as I was thinking about this, I actually... 
actually went to ask the audience on a social media account yesterday. I'm like, I remember a commercial that I want to use um, as an illustration. And so some of you are actually helpful in this. And just to remind you, illustrations are not endorsements of any particular product, person, or thing, okay? <clears throat> but it fits. It fits for the moment. I was reminded of a Nike commercial years ago. Some of you guys may remember this one. It was a Nike commercial with Tiger Woods, and it shows him sinking this incredible, I believe it was a 91-foot putt. It, well, it actually wasn't a putt. He chipped it. Uh, he chipped in from the edge of the green, and it's just this incredible scene, and the, the ball comes right to the edge of the cup, and then it's like it stops and goes, okay, I'll go in, and it falls in. Just incredible shot. And the commercial says this. We gave him a wedge with more control. He showed us what it could do. And the Proverbs are a little bit like that. It, it, they're going to give you something to work with, but then you need wisdom in order to wield the Proverbs. I could shank a wedge, a $50 wedge. I could shank a $5,000 wedge. It really wouldn't matter. That ball's not going in, all right? I don't have the skill. So think of Proverbs more as like guidance for the scramble drill, to change my metaphors here for a second. It's not telling you exactly, do you dump it down to the running back? Do you run it? Do you throw it away? It depends. Depends on the situation. Depends on the odds. Depends on what you're up against. So Proverbs functions that way. Okay? So with all of that, let's get into what Proverbs actually says about money. I'm going to start out with a prayer from Proverbs, and it's a prayer that I dare you to internalize and pray. It's actually the only prayer in Proverbs, which you'll find interesting. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, the prayer of Agur. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then notice what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Because there's dangers, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Neither poverty nor riches. This became the title of a book by Craig Blomberg, which is a, like a biblical theology of wealth and possessions. Extremely helpful. If this whets your appetite for a little bit deeper study on this topic, I'd recommend it for you. He goes sort of a Genesis to Revelation look at the idea of possessions, Christians, and wealth, and how we should interact with that. I think this could serve as a paradigm for us. Lord, don't give me too much because then I might not rely on you. But Lord, don't give me too little because then I might be tempted to bend my morals to make ends meet. Israel knew all about this. You might remember when the Lord is about to finally send them into the promised land. They've been promised this land. God brings them, raises up this nation in captivity in Egypt, brings them out. They complain against the Lord. They get banished from the land. The whole generation dies off. 40 years later, they're just about to go in and possess the land. Now, for those 40 years, the Lord had been supplying their daily bread for them in a quite literal way, raining down manna from heaven. So every day you walked out and you collected your daily bread. Now, what was going to happen is once they move into the land, they're going to plant crops, they're going to raise herds, they're going to trade with other nations, and the manna is going to stop falling. And Moses is writing, and he's warning them, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into this land, and you're going to forget about the Lord, because he, you're, it's not visible in the same sort of way. 
And what you need to remember is that it's God who's still supplying for you, even though you're not walking out and collecting manna from heaven. Deuteronomy 8, 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant to your fathers as it is to this day. So don't forget, you might think it's by my hand that I've gotten this wealth, but you need to remember it's the Lord that gives you power to gain wealth. Had a good year at work? Praise the Lord for that. Remember, it's by his power. It's by his hand that you've had this ability. Remember that. I titled the message today, Money, a Necessary Good. I'm taking a twist on the necessary evil because I think it's actually a necessary good that we're going to talk about today. Proverbs 10.22 says it this way. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he has no sorrow with it. Now, you could try to say, well, this is rich in, rich in spiritual blessings. True enough. But in the context of Proverbs, he's talking about rich like rich, like you would think about rich, like having a lot of things. That's what he means in the context of Proverbs. If I went around the room this morning, I really wanted to do this just to embrace the awkwardness of this, but I'm not going to do this to you, so don't do this. But what I wanted to do this morning is ask you to raise your hand if you think you're rich. Wouldn't that be fascinating just to see what people said? Is anybody uncomfortable yet? The question is, by what standard? Right? By what standard? The guy in Haiti with a bicycle seems rich in, to compare, in comparison to the guy that's walking. The guy with the motorcycle is rich in comparison to the guy riding the bike. The guy with the car is rich in comparison to the motorcycle. The guy with the house is rich in comparison to the one that's living in Tent City outside of Port-au-Prince. And the one with the generator and government power, as they like to call it down there, and can even afford gas and running water, they're very rich compared to, let's go back to the first guy that's living on the street and walking everywhere. Wealth is such a relative thing. The one who makes 30,000 thinks the guy who makes 60,000 is rich. The one who makes 60 thinks the guy that makes 90 and 120 and go up the ladder. Millionaires think billionaires are rich. And you could just go on and on and on, right? Blomberg, in his book that I mentioned earlier, Neither Poverty Nor Riches, he opens the book with this line, which I thought was memorable and helpful. This is a book written by a rich person to rich people. And what he means by that is in this relative scale of the world, we all in this room would be considered rich. You should go look some of these up, and if you'll email me, I'll, I'll send you a link here. There's income calculators where you can sort of plug in your income and net worth and look at the relative scale with the rest of the world. It's pretty amazing, actually, to look at that, and it's very humbling. I'll just, I won't go through all the numbers here, but just, just a couple of things here. If you have a total net worth of $250,000, all right, total net worth of $250,000, you're in the top 10% of wealth in the world. All right, top 10 in the world. If you have a salary of $25,000, you're in the top 25% of salary gainers in the world. You're in the top 25%. Now, 
you probably don't feel like that if you're making 25 grand in this country, do you? And that's what I mean. So when I ask the question, who feels rich? Many people don't. But when you look at it on the relative scale, it's pretty amazing. Now, I get it. This is a complex topic. And the guy making, you know, $50 a month living in some developing country, they're not paying their 15.3% for Social Security and insurance premiums and all of that. So the, the bills scale up too, which is why, you know, we're, we don't feel the same. We don't have disposable income. But, but it, it's still pretty telling. We do have resources that we need to manage. So a statement I think you could all agree with. What you have was given to you by the Lord and you're responsible to manage it well. Can we all agree on that? What you have was given to you by the Lord and you're responsible to manage it well. I think we can all land there. If the Lord wanted you to be a billionaire, you would be. So just relax. Manage what God has given you. Okay, I had intended to cover all four of these points this morning. And as the Lord would have it, we're going to cover one, all right? So this is going to continue on. And I tell you that to say this. There's a lot I'm not going to say this morning that needs to be said about this topic. And you might come to the end of this and think, I feel like there's an open loop on this conversation and the Bible has more to say. And Proverbs, in reality, has more to say than what we covered this morning. That is not an illusion. You are correct. There is more to say. I'm going to try to end us in a place to round out some of this, but we really need to come back. This is my teaser to get you back to church next week and beyond, perhaps. We'll see. So let's talk about this. Uh, We're going to look at the Proverbs on money, and I've broken them down into four categories, gaining wealth, appraising wealth, using wealth, and trusting wealth. And we'll talk about number one today, and we will dip a little bit into number four as well as a conclusion. Now, when I created this slide, this next slide, it's a slide that I never in my life thought that I would create and share with congregation, all right? I want to show you how the Proverbs instructs you on making more money. In fact, it's exactly what it says. And I invite you, just like Acts 17, like the good Bereans of Acts 17, examine the word to see if these things are so. I invite that, and I invite you to explore the Proverbs, and let's just look at it, and let's see what God's word says. That's exactly what we're going to do this morning. So, helping you earn wealth. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Proverbs is actually quite positive on the idea of wealth and riches. Ray Ortland, who's a very respected pastor, thinker, theologian, he says it this way, like it or not, the basic attitude of Proverbs toward money is positive. It's very positive. And he goes on to explain that throughout the the rest of his chapter on this. Now, we know, and I feel like I should add some caveats here and there, we know this isn't universally true. Ecclesiastes 7.15 talks about sometimes the wicked live long lives and the righteous don't. Sometimes there's a glitch in the system. Sometimes good people get fired and can't find another job. It happens. I recognize that. But Proverbs, what it's doing is it's developing what we've mentioned before, this character consequence sort of idea. Basically, it goes like this. If you're this kind of person, you'll have this kind of outcome. If you're a good student and you study hard, you typically do better on the test. If you're a hard worker, you typically 
that will reflect itself in your income. Now, things happen, all right? It's a broken, fallen, messed up world. There's a glitch. Things happen, and it doesn't always universally work. But generally speaking, this is the path of wisdom, character consequence. So let's look at it. How does Proverbs instruct us on earning? Number one, we need to avoid laziness. Avoid laziness. Proverbs 21.17 says this, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. He will not be rich. If you love pleasure, that is, you neglect your work in order to binge watch Netflix and eat ice cream and live your life on TikTok or whatever else you do these days. I heard one of one of my son's coaches, he was talking about talking to the kids about something and somebody said something about one of the social media outlets. He goes, is that on that TikTok? <laughs> and the kids are all like, no coach, it's TikTok. Um, so whatever it is that you're into, if you're constantly distracted by that, you love pleasure, you'll be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. You're distracted. You're not a good worker. Of course, as Ecclesiastes says, time and chance happen to all. There's a chance that there's a glitch. But for the most part, you can affirm that hard work does eventually pay off. It's just how it works. It's how the world works. Number two, avoid negligence. Avoid negligence. Look at Proverbs 27. We're going to look at verses 23 through 27. This one's so helpful and good. Proverbs 27, 23 through 27. This is uh, just to set ourselves in this context here. This is an agrarian society. They're living off the land. They're raising flocks and herds and planting crops. Most of us, if you have a garden, you're probably, it's probably more of a hobby than your, than your it's not subsistence for you. Uh, if, if the tomatoes pop up this year and you have a good crop, that's great, but you're not going to die if they don't. So we're not living off the land in the same sort of way. We are living off the land, but it's invisible to us. There are people in this time who are, it's necessary. Proverbs 27, verse 23 Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls or your maidens, your servants. Know well the condition of your flocks. The good shepherd keeps track of his flocks. He knows if they're sick. He knows if they have enough water. He knows if they have grass to feed on. And then, in turn, the flocks take care of him. Now, notice here in verse 24, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. He says, you gotta, you gotta maintain it. How often have we seen this happen where massive amounts of wealth is passed down from one generation to the next? And I think Studies show by the fourth generation, massive amounts of wealth is pretty much gone. That's kind of the pattern. Does it endure? It's rhetorical. No, of course it doesn't endure unless you work the field, unless you take care of it. Then you're going to have plenty of milk, plenty of material for clothing. You're going to have plenty if you do this. 
How do you earn? Well, you avoid laziness, work hard. You avoid negligence. Oversee the things that you're responsible for. Kind of a basic point, isn't it? The mechanic takes care of his tools. The farmer takes care of his tractor. The chef takes care of the kitchen, makes sure he has the right ingredients. For those who neglect their trade and the tools of their trade, life doesn't go well. That's the point. And I think it's just that simple. Next, avoid shortcuts. Avoid shortcuts. So avoid laziness. Avoid negligence. Next, avoid shortcuts. You know, get-rich-quick schemes aren't new. They've been around forever. Hey, invest with me, and you'll get a 100x return, you know, in six months. Like, yeah, you may not want to do that. Probably not. If it's, actually, this is a proverb that we use all the time. If what? If it seems too good to be true, it is, right? Proverbial statement that captures this very idea. If it seems too good to be true, then it actually is. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Interesting here, he doesn't say it'll never work. Sometimes you do gain it hastily. Sometimes somebody at the top of the Ponzi scheme gets paid, they take off for the Cayman Island, and you're left, all right? Somebody grabbed the bag and ran off, and you're left holding it. You're left holding nothing. So it works for some people. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So at the end of the day, somebody's going to run off with it, but it will dwindle in the end. It will catch up. Proverbs 28 in verse 20, very similar thought. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Here's the thing. Sometimes it does work when you hasten to be rich, the get-rich-quick scheme. But in the end, it gets taken away. That's the point of the proverb. So there's a pattern here, and you're going to see this in the next three of these points. So shortcuts, dishonest gains, and foolishness. Here's the pattern in Proverbs. Gain wealth the wise way or lose it in the end. That's the, pro- that's the pattern. And just plug these Proverbs in and that's what you're learning. Gain wealth the wise way or you lose it in the end. A faithful man will abound in blessings. Whoever hastens to be rich will what? He will not go unpunished. If you gain wealth hastily, you're going to lose it. It's going to dwindle. This is how it works. This is how it works over and over and over again. It's kind of an interesting week in the larger world, the economic world. For those of you who keep up with markets and things like that, kind of an interesting week to be talking about this after some new reports came out, CPI and other reports came out this week and the markets responded and we had a major crash of one of the big crypto exchanges and billions of dollars lost from the market and one exchange was supposed to buy out another exchange and then they backed out of the deal and then it had this massive ripple effect on the prices. And, you know, this one guy that's really under the, under the microscope now for one of these, you know, billions of dollars being lost. And the, I, w- I kept thinking about this proverb, wealth gained, gained hastily will dwindle. It all dwindled in a moment. The Ponzi scheme came to an end. The one who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs says, the slow, methodical, plotting approach is the way to wealth in the Bible. 
No shortcuts. Next, dishonest gain. Avoid dishonest gain. There's three things to avoid here. Avoid lying to make more money. Avoid oppressing others to make more money. And avoid stealing things. Those are the three. These are the three types of dishonest gain from these particular Proverbs. Proverbs 21.6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Okay, are you looking at that one? The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Okay, you remember our pattern here? Gain wealth the wise way or you lose it in the end. You see what happens there? You get treasure by a lying tongue, it's a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. It's not going to work. It's not going to last. Oh, you might, scheme, you might scam somebody for a little while. It won't last. It will catch up with them in the end. This is how the Proverbs are structured. How about 21.16? Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Whoever oppresses the poor, taking advantage of people, oppressing them, actively pushing people down to take their stuff, this is this will eventually come to an end as well. It will come to poverty. And then lastly, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. That's Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Don't rob the poor because he's poor. He has no recourse or crush the afflicted at the gate. The Lord will plead their cause and he'll take the life of those they took the possessions from. Now, some of this may seem kind of distant from you. Don't rob the poor. I mean, I, I deal with a lot, of, a lot of people. I counsel with people. We talk all the time with many of you. I, since I've been here 10 years in January, I've never had anybody come in the office and say, I need to confess something to you. I've been out on the streets in Jacksonville and I find poor people that have a little bit of change in their pocket and I push them down and I take their money and I run. All right? Nobody's ever said that to me. Now, if that's your thing, maybe we could talk later and I couldn't say that anymore. But nobody's ever said that to me. So I think when we think don't rob the poor, I think we automatically assume some sort of a, you know, an active burglary, breaking in somebody's house, robbing somebody who's poor. But it could be much more subtle than that. It could be just taking advantage of a situation. Finding somebody that's desperate for a little bit of cash, buying their assets off them at a huge discount, only to turn around and turn a profit on that. Could be something like that. We have laws in our nation to uh, keep us from price gouging. You see that after storms, when a lot of times refineries are shut off or you know, tankers can't come in delivering uh, supplies of, of oil, the pipelines are shut off. We have price gouging laws, and you're supposed to report it when somebody starts charging you know, $12 a gallon uh, in, a, in an area that they can't get new supply of gas. So we see that. Don't take advantage of your situation. Don't do that. I don't know exactly what the application of that particular truth is to your situation in life, but don't abuse a position that you have and a strategic advantage that you have over somebody who is in need. Don't do that. There's nothing wrong with making a fair profit, but don't take advantage of the poor. Don't use, don't oppress. All right? So avoid dishonest gain. And notice again, the same pattern. 
The getting of treasures by a lying tongue. So if you lie, it's a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. It won't last. It'll catch up with you. If you oppress the poor to increase your wealth, you'll come to poverty. It's going to come back to you. Don't rob the poor because God's going to rob the life of those who rob the poor. If you don't gain, gain it the right way, if you don't gain it by wisdom, the Lord's way, it won't last. God will bear out justice in the end. And I don't know exactly how he's going to do that, but he will. All right, lastly, avoid foolishness. Avoid foolishness. So laziness, negligence, shortcuts, dishonest gain, foolishness. Proverbs 21, 20 says this, precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, if I just took this statement, these points here, these five points, laziness, negligence, shortcuts, dishonest gain, foolishness. Those of you who work in the corporate world, maybe you're responsible in your HR department, maybe you're responsible for giving your different team raises you know, in various situations. If you took this and made it part, like work these questions into your 365 employee review, they actually kind of work, don't they? These are the people that get raises in life. People that aren't lazy, they're hard workers. People that oversee their responsibilities and do it well. People that don't avoid the shortcut, but take the right route, do the right thing. People that are honest and trustworthy on a team. Is there anything more important if you work with a group of people than trusting them? And then somebody that's just not foolish, doesn't do foolish and rash things. We've talked a lot about the fool. These are the, these are the type of people, and this is why it works. This is why it works, because by wisdom, God has created the world. And if you live by wisdom, it works. Now we understand there's a glitch in the system. This doesn't always come out 100%. We know that. That's what Proverbs is. And that's why I've taken you know, a lot of pains to try to explain what Proverbs is and what it's doing. So the Lord gives gifts to his people. And one of the questions we have to ask is, how do we receive that gift? My friend Dave, that we were talking through some of this that was here a few weeks ago and preached for us, he said this, and I, I found it really helpful, so I want to share this with you. When you receive God's gifts, whatever those gifts are, don't receive it transactionally, all right? So don't receive it transactionally as if you earned it, all right? Remember, it's God who gives the ability to get wealth. Don't receive it transactionally. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did the thing, I get the thing. And don't receive it with indifference as if you couldn't care less. Receive it as a blessing of love. That's what God has done. He's given you responsibility over a certain amount of assets in this world he owns all things. I was struck by this, the, the tie-in, actually, with the, the, uh, the love of God song at the end. You know, if I could dip a quill in the ocean and write God's love across the whole parchment of the skies, it wouldn't do at all. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He doesn't need you. He just gives you a little share to manage, just a little share. And your share may be this big, somebody else's may be this big. It's just a little piece of what God owns. He's given you that to manage. Receive it with gratitude from him. There's a lot more to say about this. And as I said at the beginning, this might leave an open loop in some of your minds. And I promise I'm gonna come back and there's gonna be a lot of warnings and cautions about this. Because some of you may be sitting there thinking, what's the catch? You know, this dude just told me like, hey, here's some, here's some good advice to go make some more money. 
Like, I like this church. This is great. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of warnings, and we need to go back to those. I want to end off with looking at one of those. And this is actually, we're going to jump outside of Proverbs for this, but 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. When I preach, I try not to ever misuse the phrase, in conclusion, right? Because then you're like packed up your stuff, you got your Bible, you're walking out the door before I stop. And then sometimes people will pull the touch and go on you, you know, in conclusion, and you know, 20 minutes later, you're still sitting there waiting on the conclusion. So I don't want to do that to you. But if I could just, if I could say this, we're beginning our descent now. All right, so you can put your tray tables up, you can sit your chairs up to that incredibly uncomfortable straight up and down position because obviously planes can't land if those seats aren't, you know, right angles, throws everything off, it just won't work. So we're beginning our descent, but we're not there yet. So I need you to give me a few more minutes as we begin to land the plane. I want to look at 1 Timothy 6, and I want to read verses 6 through 10, and then I want to jump down to 17 through 19. The Bible has so much to say about money and wealth and possessions and stewardship. In fact, one study I was glancing through had over 800 references to money and possessions. 800. Now, I don't know exactly how many we've looked at today, but it's just a a handful in comparison to what the Bible actually says. And they're in different genres and different speakers and different time periods. So there's a lot of work left to be done on this topic. But I want to end us with this one. It says this. We're jumping into the middle of a thought here. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So there's some of our warnings about money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The desire to be rich is so alluring and dangerous. The Bible has so many warnings about that. Jesus said, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Your heart gets all intertwined with the things that you have. It's hard to trust the Lord because you end up trusting in yourself and your possessions and your own ability and your bank accounts. It's so hard and it's so dangerous. You need to be careful. Love of money, it makes shipwreck of people's faith. They've wandered away from the faith because of their love of money, because they love money so much. It becomes an idol. It becomes ultimate. Picture money is sort of like nuclear power. Is it good or bad? Depends on who has it. Depends on what you're doing with it. It can destroy cities or whole areas like Chernobyl. It can also power cities. It can power subs. It can blow up cities through a warhead. It's good or bad. Is it good or bad? It's not that simple. Money is that way. Money can be used as an incredible tool to, for good, to leverage for kingdom purposes for good. But it can also be very dangerous. Let's see what else Paul said about that because that passage is largely negative. Um, be careful. Watch your heart because you can be in love with money. But 617 
he brings another perspective here. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you notice it's always dangerous to create theology from the white spaces, so I don't want to do that. But it is interesting that Paul doesn't here say, I exhort the rich of this present age, how dare you have what you have? He actually doesn't say that. What does he say? Charge them not to be haughty. Don't let them be arrogant. Don't let them set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Some feel a latent, abiding sense of guilt because you are a Christian and you're not miserable. You're a Christian and you're not miserable. Don't feel guilty for not being miserable today. It's okay. It's okay. It says, don't put your hope on these riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything. What? Say it out loud. Say the last two words of verse 17. To what? To enjoy. It is okay every now and then to not order off the value menu at Taco Bell. It's okay. Although there are some fantastic things on that value menu. Just want you to know. You can stay alive eating ramen. You can. For a little while, I think. Many college students do it. But praise God for smoked ribs and greens or insert your favorite dish, whatever that is. It's okay. It's okay to richly enjoy the gifts that God has given you. It's all right. He's given you those things to enjoy. It's in the Bible right there. But it comes with a caution. What's the catch? There's no catch, really. There's just balance. Biblical wisdom and balance. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up treasure for themselves. They are to do good, to be rich in good works and generous, ready to share. It, and we've established we're all rich at some level here in this place, in this church, some perhaps more than others, but in the scheme of the world, we're all pretty well off. Everybody that I know here in this church. I think some people have this perception. When I reach a certain level of net worth, then I can be generous. Has anybody fallen into that line of thinking, you don't have to raise your hands, but that would be interesting to do. When I, when I, when I hit a certain level, well, then I'll, I'll be a giver then. If you're not generous with little, you're not going to be generous with much. It's just how it works. You're not going to be. In fact, I think for some of us, the most moving acts of generosity have come from people giving out of poverty, isn't it? I remember being in Haiti multiple times. This has happened, but just one story in particular, multiple times. And people will just give you the best of everything that they have. And I'm like, I don't, why are you giving me the best pillow that you have? Which isn't very comfortable, but they give you the best one. This is the best room, the one with the least mosquitoes in it. We want you to have it. It's, it is amazingly moving when they do things like that. I'd asked, I was down there one time and I'd asked my driver, we're going from one spot in Haiti to another. I'd asked him, I said, hey, I would love to just get some locally grown Haitian coffee beans to take back home. He's like, oh yeah, I have a friend. And so we drive over to this, this person's house and uh, he comes out and he gives me this bag of coffee. 
Uh, he gives the driver the bag of coffee and then he gives it to me. And I said, well, I want to pay for it. I'm like, can, can I pay for it? And he, the, the driver said, he freely gives to me. I freely give to you, brother. And I'm like, you know, he doesn't have anything. And it wouldn't kill me to hand the guy 10 bucks for a bag of coffee. But it's so moving when people give out of their poverty. And if you're waiting to hit a certain level to say, well, then I'm going to really take care of people. I'm going to be one of these First Timothy kind of people. I'm going to be rich and generous in good deeds. Probably not. Probably not. You're, you're establishing a pattern for what you are wherever you are now. And that's going to grow with you as it moves along. All right. We've come down. We're hitting the runway now. So... I don't know exactly. Wheels are touching down. I don't know where this intersects exactly with your heart and life. But just think through this. Money does expose your heart, doesn't it? It exposes our hearts. Jesus said, where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. It's amazing how you can decide where your treasure is too. Some of you, maybe if you've ever had money in the stock market, you buy some company that you know little about, and all of a sudden your heart is with that company, isn't it? And you keep checking the returns and you check what's happening. Well, what happened? You wrote a check. I guess we don't write checks anymore. You sent some money. I've had people tell me before, I'm just not real passionate about missions. I'm like, and I've told people before, write a big check. Then you'll read the next update, won't you? Because you care, you invest yourself. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, put your treasure there and your heart's going to follow what you invest in. Be generous. Be known for that. Hold God's possessions with an open hand, willing to share. On the flip side of that, would we be willing, like Jesus called on the rich man, would we be willing to say, I'm willing to let every bit of this go to follow Christ? Jesus used money as a leverage tool to pry open the lid of people's hearts. That's what he's doing. Hey, sell everything you have. Come and follow me. And what's it saying? He went away very sad because he was a man with great possessions. You see, he didn't see himself as a steward of God's possessions. God's given me this little, this little bit to manage, and I'm just going to do the best I can with it. He didn't see himself as that. He thought, this is mine. This is mine. I'm going to hold every bit of it for myself. And I want to take Jesus and tack him on. He doesn't, he's not a board member. <laughs> like, you know, he doesn't get to run the empire. I'm just tacking on a little Jesus to that. Money is a diagnostic, isn't it? Where are our hearts? What is our treasure? For those this morning that have confessed Christ as their savior, we recognize that there is another Lord in town. He is sovereign. He's king over all. And so now we want to walk in humility and obedience manage whatever we have, whatever part of the puzzle we play. We want to manage it well for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for some passages like this that are challenging for us. And we see that you do own everything. You, your, your praises, the love of God, it couldn't fill up the whole sky. You own everything. You own the cattle of a thousand hills. Everything's yours, Lord. So God, we are under shepherds. We are under stewards you are the one that owns all things. So Lord, help us to view ourselves and to view our finances, whatever it is that you've given to us. Maybe we're in a season right now of lack and need. I pray that you would provide, Lord, for those who perhaps are in a season of abundance and full barns and storehouses, give them wisdom to be generous, 
to be ready to help those who are in need. Lord, we we ask you for your wisdom. And as we've noted many times through Proverbs, there is no one size fits all for one particular individual. But there are attitudes and there are um, feelings that we should have towards our resources and money. We pray that you would help us to understand that. Lord, maybe there's some in here this morning and they've never placed their faith and trust in Christ. They've never turned over the keys of their own hearts to you. Show them their need for Christ today. Show them their sinful condition and the glory of the gospel that makes us right with you. We praise things in Christ's name. Amen.